John uses the phrase, by this we know, or some iteration of that phrase 13 times. He also uses the phrase, I write these things in order that, nine times throughout his first letter. In these 22 statements, we find that John's purpose in his letter is to explain to the church the difference between authentic believers and false followers. Authentic believers are those who confess Jesus as the Son of God, who has come in the flesh to save the world from its sin. Authentic believers know they have confessed Jesus because they obey the Lord, love their Christian brothers and sisters, have confidence before, and have received the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth of Jesus to them. Good morning. Hey, we're making progress, making progress. Go to 1 John chapter 2 this morning. Um, we'll be in verses 7, 7 through 11. So last week we talked about taking tests, right? And we talked about how uh, the first test that John is giving us is the test of obedience. And we know we are followers of Christ. We're authentic Christians. We are sure of our salvation if we do what? If we walk in obedience to his commands. This morning, we come to test number two. So hopefully all of us in here passed test number one. If not, uh, we love to have a conversation with you at our blue wall after this service. Uh, but here we come to test number two. And test number two this morning is about loving your spiritual siblings. And so to kind of get us started and get us thinking, um, I wanna use a popular quote uh, from Martin Luther King Jr. And you can see this on the screen. But Martin Luther King says, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Now this quote comes from a sermon that MLK preached on Christmas day in 1957. And in that sermon, his attention is on loving one's enemy. What I wanna do this morning is follow John's lead. And rather than just talking about loving one's enemy, I want us to focus specifically on loving one's spiritual family. Now listen, John is clear that we need to love all people. But what he's doing right now is talking about how we treat those we gather with. That in the church, the opponents, the successionists that we've talked about the last few weeks, not only are they teaching wrong beliefs, not only do they teach that you don't need to obey God, but what they're doing is they're saying that you don't need to love one another. They don't just say it in word, but they're practicing that. That they are practically showing hate towards each other. And so the main idea of our text this morning, the main truth I want you to get is that we are sure we know God when we love our spiritual siblings. I have confidence that I know God when I love the people I gather with. And so go to 1 John chapter two, and let's look at verses seven through 11. John writes, beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes." Before we break down what it looks like for us to love one another, I wanna look at two qualities of love. And the first one is this, that love is an everlasting commandment. 
Love is an everlasting commandment. So we left off last week talking about obeying the Lord and the primary way in which we obey God is to do what? To be imitators of Jesus Christ, right? So what John's gonna now do is he's gonna kind of lead from that thought in verse six, take us now to verse seven and to show us that the primary way in which we imitate Jesus is by loving our spiritual siblings. So in verse seven, again, he says, beloved. Now your translation may say, dear friends. And that seems a little bit more appropriate. Uh, if we went around calling each other beloved, uh, one, it might be awkward too. We might give the wrong impression of our relationship. Uh, but I don't love the term dear friends. And not that it's wrong, I think it fits well, but our culture has twisted our understanding of, of friends. So last week I mentioned that my wife and I went on a date to Oklahoma City. We watched Oklahoma. Uh, well, prior to that date, we went to Hall's Pizza Kitchen. And so we went to Hall's. We, when we left Hall's, we walked by, I think it was Burrito's next door. So we're walking by and the whole front entrance is all windows. And I look inside and I see two people I know. And I look at my wife and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm friends with him. I, I know that guy. And she's asking me now, well, how do you know him? So I don't have to explain how I don't actually know him. And I tell her, well, we're friends on Facebook and uh, I know him and I recognize his wife and I could tell you where he works in Oklahoma City. I could tell you what he likes to do for fun and what mission trips he tends to go on. But I don't think we've ever had a conversation. Uh, in fact, I don't know why we're Facebook friends because I don't think we've actually ever met each other. John is not gonna go on a Facebook rant about love. Like we've established that John is not talking to people he doesn't know. No, John is close to these people. They aren't just dear friends. They in a sense are his beloved. See, John is going to, to say to them that this commandment is two things. It's old and it's new. It's an everlasting commandment. So he says again, 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So the commandment comes from the beginning, okay? What's the beginning? Well, in this context, the beginning is their salvation. That when John or whoever shared the gospel to them, at the time of their conversion, they heard this command to love one another. Now, in our day and age, what we tend to practice is gospel presentations. And I'm not against a gospel presentation. We teach our students the three circles method. And it's, I think, a fantastic way to present the gospel to someone. But typically, when we have a gospel conversation, it's a presentation in that, let me tell you what Jesus has done and how you should, should, should respond in less than three minutes. So after I give that presentation, I then ask the question, are you ready to commit your life to follow Jesus? Hopefully they say yes. If they do, we pray a prayer. We celebrate and say, now you're a follower of Jesus. And because you've now prayed this prayer, here's all the things that you now need to do in obedience. What John is showing us is that prior to telling them or asking them, do you want to respond in faith? John is telling them, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what you're getting yourself into. And I don't think John, and I don't think we can teach all of scripture in that conversation. But John is clear that it's not just about 
you knowing what Christ has done that you respond in faith, but he wants them to know, here's what you're getting yourself into. So for them, they understood they were getting into loving one another. That if they're gonna be a follower of Christ, they're gonna be a part of God's family, they understood the value and the importance of loving each other. But this command isn't just given to them from the beginning, it's also given them to them from the entire Old Testament, that the let love is rooted throughout the Old Testament law. On the screen, you see the 10 commandments and we're not gonna walk through these, but what we tend to do is we think of the 10 commandments as the first four about being our love to God, then the last six about being our love to one another. And while it's a simple way for us to understand the 10 commandments, what we know is that honestly, when I obey any one of these 10 commandments, I'm both loving God and I'm loving my neighbor. Uh, Jesus says this, uh, Matthew chapter 22, uh, listen to what he says in verses 37 through 40. And Jesus said to the young man, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See what Jesus is showing us is that everything in scripture, everything in the Old Testament was always about both loving God and loving your neighbor. That no matter what command you were obeying, in that command you were showing praise towards God and care for your brother or sister. So it's an old commandment they've always had, but church, it's also a new commandment. See, this idea of being a new commandment, it doesn't speak to time, but it speaks to quality. Now look what he says in verse eight. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Think about the greatest meal you've ever had in your life. I know it's close to lunch and it's dangerous, but maybe it's a cheeseburger, a steak, maybe a brownie or a cookie or a hot fudge sundae without ice cream's cold, but the hot fudge is really hot, you know, mixed as well. The greatest steak I've ever had in my life was at the ranch steakhouse a couple of years ago. I took my wife out, we did a fancy dinner and it was incredible. But it wasn't the first steak I ever had. I don't know what the first steak I ever had. The first real steak I remember eating was Outback. And I love Outback Steakhouse. Give me some steak, coconut shrimp, a sweet potato, then of course a blooming onion, right? But then I had this steak. And all these other steaks I'm now eating, I mean, they're good. They're not terrible. They're not like the dollar, general dollar steak that they advertise, right? I mean, it's a good steak. But this steak, it's like none other steak I've ever had in my life. See, when Jesus says this command to love one another is like this steak you never had or you had for the first time. It gives you a whole new meaning of what it means to have a steak. When we look at Jesus, when he says, when John says it's a new commandment, what John is saying is up until Jesus is coming, We knew the command to love and we tried to live it out, but it wasn't until Jesus shows up that we really understand what it means to love one another. That Jesus is showing us the true quality, the great quality, the prime cut of love. And so he calls us now 
to love. That this command is old and it's new, making it everlasting. That it's always been given to us and it's always gonna be a calling for us even when we get to heaven to love one another. And listen, church, if you know Jesus, you can love. And that's what John's getting at. What does he say in verse eight again? It's not just in him, but it's also in you. And John isn't saying, look within yourself, it's already there. He's not saying just dig your heels in and be committed, but he's saying, pay attention to what Christ has done in you. Experience that love and then live that out. We've heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people, right? The same goes with love. Loved people love people. And when we encounter the love of God, we are able, we're enabled to love one another. And so when we look at people who are hateful and they lack the love, what we should assume is maybe they've never experienced God's love. Second truth we learned this morning is that love is an effective commandment. So the first quality is that it is everlasting. Second, it is effective. Verse, verse eight, again, what does John say? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The true light we talked about last week is Jesus. And when we encounter Jesus, the darkness passes away. The problem for us is too many things claim to be the light. And then we think that that light's gonna cast out the darkness. Uh, for example, you see a, a picture of a guy named Matt. I get this wrong every time, okay? It is Matsuo, or no, Matayoshi Matsuo. Matayoshi Masuo. Masuo, every time the election begins in Japan, he runs to be the prime minister of, of Japan. Every single year, he loses. And part of his problem is that Masuo believes that he is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so Masuo will go, and I don't know if he really believes that, or he just is trying to mislead people. Either way, he's wrong. But every year he, or every chance he gets, he runs to be prime minister. And what he believes is that God has called him as Jesus to run as prime minister. And when he wins, he is going to reform all of Japan, make Japan look like it should, make it look holy. And then he, after he reforms Japan, he's gonna become the leader of the United Nations. And then under his leadership, the world is going to be redeemed and reformed and everything's going to be okay. But one of the many problems of Mitsuo is what he teaches people, including his opponents, is that anyone who stands in the way, they are standing against God. Therefore, if they want to be right with God, his opponents need to commit ritual suicide. And if they do that, then they will help usher in God's kingdom. Here's a guy claiming to be the light, but his teachings only lead people into darkness. And it doesn't just have to be a person, it can be an idea, right? That if you live for yourself, that if you satisfy yourself in this way, that if you do whatever you want, you're going to find happiness. But church, we know that living for ourselves, pursuing whatever we want doesn't bring satisfaction. It's only Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can cast out the darkness. And so what does John say? that the darkness is what? It is passing away. Passing away can either mean to walk beside something or it can mean to come to its end. And the latter is what John is getting at, that darkness is passing away, that, 
just put it bluntly, darkness is on its deathbed. That too often our mindset is darkness is winning and as a church, we're just trying to make ends meet and just trying to do the best we can and we're just hoping people repent. But what we see in the story of scripture is that God's kingdom is coming and not only is it coming, it is here. And Mark chapter one talks about that. Uh, Jesus says in verses 14 through 15, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Church, when we respond to the gospel and we love one another, the darkness that surrounds us begins and continues to pass away. And so if we want to be effective men and women who love the Lord, who make a difference in the kingdom, we have to love other people. And two, way we, two ways we do that, one, is by what we post on social media. Listen, social media is, is something we reserve to talk about with, with students, right? And parents, you will ask questions, but typically it's about how you can handle their social media. But here's the thing, Facebook is making a rise with teenagers, but on my Facebook, not many of them are there, right? Because Facebook, you post words, Snapchat, you do pictures and stuff like that. Um, foreign to me too. So. But here's the thing, on Facebook, what do I see? It's not just the students posting stuff, it's us. And what we tend to do is we get on Facebook and we get on our high horse about some issue, even if we're right, and we tell everyone about how right we are and we go about it in such an unloving way. And listen, if your primary means of having a gospel conversation is through your Facebook post, you need to find a better way to engage people and have a relationship with them. And I'm not slamming us posting stuff that we should be the light of the world. But what our calling is and in that light is to love people. And as I post, what my hope should be is that I'm ha I can then have a conversation with someone. That if the way I say something is offensive, I'm not being the light of the world. Sure, what I can say may offend someone. That if I say Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and they're offended, then it's not my problem. But if I say you idiot and then give them the gospel, listen, I'm not engaging them and I'm not creating a way to have a conversation. And then second, if we're just thinking practically loving one another, you know a great way to love one another is by doing our jobs well. Listen, God has given you your, you, your job and your, your career as a means to make earth look like heaven. It's not you just do your job or you go pursue an education and you learn and you do whatever and then you make money and then you come to church and you give it so we can do ministry. Listen, we wanna do great things in this building and through this church, but we need to do great things through our jobs and our education. Then the things that we say and the way we work. Listen, you wanna make heaven look like earth, church? and be a great doctor and be a great teacher and be a great electrician and be a great whatever. Because while not all of us are called to vocational ministry, every one of us is called to be a minister of the gospel. And by the way you work, you make earth look like heaven. And so we see the command is everlasting. We see the command is effective. And then finally, we're gonna see the evidence of love. How do I know I'm walking in love? Well, three quick truths. One, my lifestyle mimics my confession in Christ. When my lifestyle mimics my confession in Christ, I know I'm loving my brother. 
What's my confession? It's that Christ has saved me from my sin and God is now my father. So we talk about this idea of adoption, the doctrine of adoption. Look what he says in in verse, verse nine. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Brother, in this context, is talking about those you go to church with, those you gather with and claim to be in covenant community with. When we look through the Old Testament, what we see is God is building what we can call a biological family. That through the nation of Israel, starting with Abraham, then Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 sons, God is building a biological family. And from that biological family, they are to bless the nations. Remember what God says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? You will be a what? A blessing. Not a ruler, not a dictator, but a blessing. That's Israel's call. Fast forward now to the New Testament and God is no longer building a biological family. God is now building a spiritual family, the church. And he tells his disciples in John 13, 35, by this they will know you are my disciples, by the way you what? You love one another. And so what God is doing now, so he's building this spiritual family that when we put our faith in Jesus, not only does God become my father, but we become one another's brothers and sisters in Christ. That in Jesus, there should be no division among us. Ephesians chapter two, verse 14 on the screen, look what Paul says, for he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That dividing wall is not a wall that's between us and God. It's a wall that's between people. Uh, Specifically, it's talking about the temple. So on the next slide, you see an image of the temple and you can't probably read all the wording and it's describing where everything is. But the the few things I wanna highlight is if you look at the top of the screen, you see what's called the court of Gentiles. And in the court of Gentiles, that's where the Gentiles, the non-Jews had to go. That that was as close as they were allowed to get to the center of the temple. And then in the middle, you see kind of two parts on the, the, the front side, is the women's court. And it's in the women's court where the Jewish women would go. The Gentiles were not allowed to go where the Jewish women went. But then even deeper inside the temple was a place for the Jewish men. That the Jewish women were limited and also where they could go. So what Paul is saying that spiritually, not physically, but spiritually, when we put our faith in Jesus, the walls of the temple come crashing down. And so now Gentiles, Jew, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your gender, you are now welcomed equally into the presence of God. But what we tend to do, because it's comfortable and it's habit, is we would like to stay in our court. We wanna stay in our section because that's what we're used to. Church, I want you to see and I want you to notice that when we come before the Lord and put our faith in Jesus, God is both, he is our father and we as a church are brothers and sisters. And I love to think about that through the way we do the Lord's Supper and the way we sing. And the Lord's Supper, we'll do this in a few weeks on a Sunday morning. We'll pass the element, we have the elements and we'll have a time of just confession and meditation. And what we tend to do in that moment is confess our sins to God and meditate on how Christ has saved us. And we need to do that, okay? 
But one valuable thing that you can do in that moment is I want you to spend some time that morning just thinking through how God has not just saved you, but he's saved all of us in here. That there's value to me when I'm thinking about someone's story of struggle and brokenness and how God has redeemed them and saved them and brought us to together. When we sing, and we've done it this morning in all of our services where kind of the music gets quieter and we can hear people sing, right? Now, some of us, we don't like that. If you're like me, it doesn't seem like a joyful noise to the Lord, uh, but it is. But there's value in listening. That sometimes what I like to do is as I'm listening is I wanna stop singing. And now we shouldn't all do this at the same time because we'll get quiet. But if you just kind of stop singing for a moment and then you listen to people sing, great is thy faithfulness. And I wouldn't recommend us necessarily looking around the room, but then you can think about this person's story and struggle with cancer. This person's story and struggle in their marriage, this person's story and struggle with, with, with having children, um, whether it's the inability or they've had kids and the kids are kind of difficult, right? And here they are proclaiming in their difficulty, great is thy faithfulness. But when we come in here and it's just about me and God, we miss that. We miss the family aspect. And so one, my, 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 my confession my, or my lifestyle should mimic my confession so when I come, I'm looking to love. And listen, hate, hate isn't just big sins. Hate isn't killing someone. I mean, it is killing someone, but it's not limited to that. It's not just robbing someone, but hate is exclusion. Hate is insults. Hate is looking down on someone. John is black and white and it's difficult for us to swallow because we like the gray area because in the gray area, I can kind of sin a little bit without getting too much confrontation from people. But John is saying, no, it's either black or it's white. You're either walking in godliness or you're not, one or the other. And church, listen, if we're gonna love the Lord, we have to love other people and we can't love in isolation. You can't. You can't love someone if you're always by yourself. You can't love someone if you're not participating in a group with someone. You can't love someone if you're limiting yourself to coming in here and sitting and then leaving, that we need to partner alongside each other. And we can't love when we love ourselves more. Obedience to God limits us. We can't live for ourselves when I want to love someone else. And ultimately love requires reconciliation. And sometimes in, in the home, we have arguments, right? Kids get in fights. And parents, you know, when your kids are always fighting, it just brings stress in your own life. Um, that we all thought that quarantining would be great until you had a homeschool and then everything just went downhill, right? And then those moments, fights break out. And if you wanna stay as a family that's supporting each other, you need reconciliation. And the same thing is for us. In your small group, in your Sunday school class, guess what? Someone's gonna say something you don't like. It's gonna be offensive. And it's not because of what they said, it's because how they said it. Sometimes from this stage, someone, whether it's me or someone else, will probably say something offensive. And listen, we need reconciliation. That if it's always I'm leaving the moment you hurt me, we're never really going to be close with each other. And so our lifestyle mimics our confession. Second, our lifestyle models Christ to others. It models Christ to others. Go, go to verse 10. 
Verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Two ways we can read cause for stumbling. Either it's if I love other people, I won't stumble or if I love other people, they won't stumble. And what I think John's getting at is it's not I won't stumble, it's they won't stumble. So yesterday, uh, my wife and I, we were driving to Oklahoma City and on the way there, uh, we saw obviously a couple of cars that had tried to travel during the week and they found their car off on the side of the road or even worse, down into the ditch, okay? So they're driving down I-40, maybe going faster than they should, maybe going slower than most people, but whatever happens, what they hit that patch of ice and they start to slide. Some people, they just slide a little bit, then they kind of correct and get back on track, but other people, they slide and they roll off into the ditch, right? Whenever we are living in sin, we are setting up patches of ice, stumbling blocks, traps for other people that when they cross our paths, they're going to be tempted or they're going to give in to some sort of sin. You are spiritually responsible for the spiritual health of other people. In Joshua chapter seven, we see the story of Achan. And Achan is just an average man in the Israelite army. And prior to Joshua chapter seven, the Israelites fight in the battle of Jericho. We know the story of Jericho. They just ransack the city, destroy the city, except for one guy, Achan. And what we learned is that Achan, rather than fulfilling God's command to destroy everything, he sees some gold, some silver, and a really pretty cloak, and he covets it and he takes it with him. Fast forward a few weeks, Israel gets to Ai. And when they show up at Ai, they are competing. If we can use a football illustration, Jericho is Georgia, Ai is Kansas, okay? And so they've defeated Georgia, all right, in battle. So here they are against Kansas. If you don't know, Kansas is terrible, awful. Sorry if you're a Kansas fan, you're good at basketball. And so Kansas, is, so AI is awful. There's a small army, it should be easy. God says, hey, just send about 3,000 of your men. They go to fight and when they show up, they get destroyed. 36 men die. And that doesn't seem like a lot, but clearly when a lot more people fight, a lot less people are, are dying. And so, so they lose the battle. Joshua comes back and says to the Lord, why have you abandoned us? And Joshua, and the God says to Joshua, get up. Why have you abandoned me? And what we learn from that passage is that the reason the Israelites lose the battle is because Achan got greedy. And the nation of Israel suffered because one of its members chose to sin. And again, Achan's not Joshua. He's not the leader. It's not like if one of our staff members of our church sins, Achan is just an average member. And the point is that any person can derail the mission of what God's doing. That any one of us in here, by some unconfessed sin, some unconfessed behavior, some habit that we have, we can mislead those in our path. That you are spiritually responsible Therefore, what you need to do is model Jesus before other people. Because never once does Jesus ever mislead someone. Take John chapter eight as an example. What does he do with the woman caught in adultery? He shows grace to her and he leads her out of her sin. We could talk, unpack that more and more. And there's more people involved, but the point is that Jesus in his innocence and in his intentions 
he sets people free in church, may through our innocence and may through our intentions, may we not be a stumbling block to other people, but may we help them walk in the light. And so what does this mean? It means that we make godliness of other, godliness of other people our goal. And it means we don't delight in the fall of someone else. Church, as followers of Jesus, the phrase they had it coming to them shouldn't, shouldn't come from our mouths. And sure, some people do get what they deserve. But church, what our heart should be is one of compassion and grace, of doing everything we can to intervene that they are redeemed. May we be a people of love primarily to this group right here. And then finally, what we see is that my lifestyle moves me towards Christ. How do I know I love other people when my lifestyle moves me towards Christ? Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Why does he stumble? Why do we cause other people to stumble? Because we are already stumbling. So in the night, I sometimes have to get up and go to the bathroom and I got a dog. And I got a cute little puppy who weighs 80 pounds and he loves to bring his toys into our bedroom every night. And there are most nights where I'm going to the bathroom and my foot meets his toy in the middle of the night and it hurts. Whether it's the ball or a bone or something else, it hurts. Why do I stumble? Why do I get hurt? Because I can't see where I'm going. Because I'm walking in darkness. See, when we're physically blind, we know we're blind. But when we're spiritually blind, we don't. And so we go about in the darkness, thinking we see the light. But what we need, church, if we're gonna walk rightly with the Lord, if we're gonna love one another, we need to first come to the light and experience God's love. 2 Corinthians chapter four on the screen, verses four through six. We won't read the whole thing because of time, but... Essentially what what Paul is saying is that Satan has blinded our eyes and if we wanna see, God needs to shine the light of the gospel into our lives. And what we need to recognize this morning, church, is everyone who has not put their faith in Jesus is blind to their sin. On the screen, you see a picture of Life Magazine of October, 1993. And it's just the cover because um, one, I couldn't find the picture inside I wanted to show, and two, it probably wasn't, would be a little too graphic. But there's a story of a young boy who, when he was 10 months, he was, he's 10 years old in the picture, but when he was 10 months old, uh, he became blind. And it's not because his eyesight just began to fail, uh, but when he was 10 months old, his mom took him to the hospital because he had um, acute diarrhea. And she was fearful that he was going to, to die, that he was really sick. So she, she took him to the hospital and she wasn't allowed to stay at, at the hospital. And so she left her young child, came back the next day. And when she arrived, she saw that there were patches on his eyes and there was blood on the patches and blood on the boy's uh, clothes. And she asked the doctor what happened and the doctor responded with, can't you tell your son is dying? Just let him die. And so she's confused and she's worried and not sure what's going on. And so she grabs her son and she leaves the hospital to go to another one. And when she shows up at the hospital, she gives the boy to the doctors and asks what happened to him. And they look at him and they respond, that the doctors at the other hospital thought he was dying. And because your eyeballs 
can go for a lot of money on the black market. They cut his eyes out to sell him. Here is a boy blinded because of the actions of someone else. A graphic story, but I think a story that relates to us and that every one of us are blind apart from Jesus. And every one of us, what we deeply need is to come to the Lord in faith by looking into the light. And so this morning, maybe you recognize that there's a lack of love in your life for other people, specifically those you gather with. Let's look in the heart and look at where is your relationship with the Lord? Have you really put your faith in him? And if you haven't, and you're still stumbling through the darkness, and I say this every week, we wanna have a conversation with you about what it means to really put your faith in Jesus and unpack the truth that Christ has died for your sin, that he set you free. And the rest of us, if we put our faith in Jesus, let us love. Let us not live in isolation. Let us not live for ourselves, but let's live sacrificially just as Christ has loved us. Let's mimic him. Let's see him as our model and let's move closer to him so that those around us can experience the love of God through us. Let's pray. Father, we celebrate the hope we have in you. And God, we proclaim all that you've done in our lives. And so Lord, our prayer this morning is twofold. One, we pray for those in here who, who don't know you, those who have yet to repent from their sin, those who are still uh, lost. God, we pray that this morning you will shine the light of the gospel, of the knowledge of the gospel of your son to their hearts that they may see. And God, for the rest of us, God, may we leave this place seeking to love one another, seeking to be intentional in our conversations, innocent in our behavior. And Father, may through our behavior, you open up the door for us to engage people and relate to people and love people. God, you are good to us. We love you in your name, amen. All right, we're gonna go old school this morning. We got some announcements.